Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Media Boat Podcast. Hi, it's the Media Boat Podcast time. We're doing a little shoulder dances. That's how we're hyped we are for this week. Today is Wednesday, April the 21st, 2021. This is episode 276 of the podcast. If you do not know what the Media Boat Podcast is, we are a podcast that brings you news and thoughts about movies, television, video games, and music. Not necessarily in that order. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. Um, it's full baseball swing, but also <laughs> full swing of other stuff as well. Oh, man. We have so much to talk about in every category this week. Uh, we have Oscar predictions for mm-hmm. you. We have feedback about next generation systems. We have all sorts of surprises today. But before we get to all that, the big news of the week that we should definitely probably bring up, at least at the top of here, is the trial of Derek Chauvin, which concluded, yes. well, didn't quite conclude yesterday, but there was a the, verdict yesterday. A uh, verdict on three counts, all found guilty. Um, so the man will be going to prison. And we're bringing this up because even when I turned on SportsCenter to get away from it, it was, there. it was literally the top story of the day. So we think uh, to keep in, something to keep in mind here is that guilty verdict does not necessarily completely um, absolve uh, the mur- like absolve our feelings about the murder. Obviously, it still you know should be a point of contention. Should should be still something that we're working against. It doesn't absolve you know police as a system. You know, there's more complicated things. This is not an ending. This is just a step. Is basically the thing to keep in mind here. Uh, but otherwise, a good news blip in a sea of bad news over the last two years, for sure. Um, but in the meantime, we have the rest of a podcast to talk to you about. We always start the podcast with the movies, and we'll always start the movies with the weekend box office numbers. Yep. Um Nothing really changed. Your top five are the same, except for uh, Tom and Jerry, which was at six, came back yeah. to number five. But that's it. Nothing really changed. So yeah, your big kahunas are still Godzilla and Kong reigning on top. That's probably not going to change until we see another big blockbuster coming out. And as for upcoming releases, this week we have what's possibly a blockbuster, but it remains to be seen how many people still care, is, of course, Mortal Kombat, the newest version of the, the newest adaptation, I should say, of the video game series. Yes, with all the new CGI graphics. (laughs) So yeah, this will be a theatrical and a HBO Max release, so if you want to stay home, you can watch this from the comfort of your couch, or if you want to go out. Or if you're vaccinated and want to feel dangerous. You can do a theater, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Do we support Warner Brothers? This films? might be a good drive-in, maybe. That I could recommend. People went and saw uh, Godzilla versus Kong, so I would not be surprised if this also played well to that <laughs> exact same audience. Wouldn't be surprised. No. Uh, hold on, I'm going to turn this game off. It is seven to three. Oh yeah, no, this uh, the game went uh, crazy. Anyway, uh, so yeah, um, we'll have more talk about Mortal Kombat probably next week as that comes out on Friday. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, let's move on into movie news. We got a couple of bangers for you here. 
But the first one is not really news as it is more of our annual Oscar predictions fan tasmic fest. I don't we know. We warned what to call you it. last episode that this would be an Oscar broadcast, and here we are with our predictions. Okay, so counts as our news. So what I've done prior to this podcast is I've actually taken some data in. I took some data points from all sorts of uh, popular publications about film, as well as award winners from the Guild Awards that have already taken place, as well as this, that includes the writers, directors, uh, producers, and screen actors. Uh, what I did just realized I didn't put on here was the Golden Globe winners, which I should have also. But um, yeah, but there's two of them. Yeah. So, so basically, uh, we're going to be able to go down category to category, and I'm going to tell you what seems like the general favorite is across the board, as well as our individual picks and how they match up. So let's just open the the door here to the big the big category of the night. Let's talk about Best Picture. So your nominees. Include real quick to run them down: The Father, Judas of the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Before we talk about our favorites, currently with eight picks out of nine possible uh, possible uh, uh, outlets, Nomadland is your clear favorite here. Uh, we're going in with a very very strong favorite this year which hasn't happened in a while um, right your other winners out of those would be the trial of the chicago seven which won the sag award but that is an ensemble cast so unlike the, my land which is kind of a solo so that is a pick but that's an asterisk pick because it is the act the screen actors guild award it's not really for best picture that being said though we have seen in the past momentum um from that pick uh so mm-hmm. Not only that, but the acting vote is one of the biggest blocks of voting. So it could happen. It could. It could throw an upset. But it seems like, yeah, at this point, if Nomadland doesn't win, uh, we're going to have riots on the streets. Uh, Where do you land on this? I know you previously on this podcast, you've uh, seemed like you were um, hesitant to call Nomadland your best picture nom here. Uh, watching Nomadland, I was very hesitant to call it. <laughs> I enjoyed that movie. Yes, but there's a difference between I enjoyed that movie and give this picture all the awards possible. So I'm saying my pick is definitely Nomadland as well. Um, not just because it seems to be the favorite here, but because I watched it and I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's a unique thing among the pool of uh, nominees here. And I think that just there isn't a whole lot of strong things happening elsewhere in this in this category. I mean, from watching these films, my pick is Judas and the Black Messiah. Okay. Of the films that I've seen. That being said, I think you're right. Nomadland kind of walks away with this. I don't see a possibility that it doesn't win. So, so if this is just our predictions about who we think who will uh so you're still you want my you're... winner choice yes what i'm gonna put down it's yes. no bad land okay because that's what i'm looking for here <laughs> um so yeah i don't think we have the time to go into who will win should win carry no uh, we do not uh, we have a lot of other side. stuff to talk about as well yeah so let's move on into director here uh similar favoritism going on here 
you have kind of a left field choice here, Thomas Vinterberg for another round, which is also nominated for international film. We'll get there a little later. David Fincher for Mank, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, uh, No Man Lands, Chloe Zhao. Yep. Okay. And Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman with Chloe Zhao being the obvious favorite for Nomadland. It seems like a two and two uh, match this, this year. If you're looking for a easy choice to for all of these, <laughs> it would be Chloe Zhao. She's yeah. nominated four times in four separate categories and could very well walk away with all four wins. Yeah. Uh, best Picture, Directing, She's also nominated in the editing and cinematography as well, which are four of the main categories you need to win a best picture. It could happen. Uh, We'll get to those other categories later. But one thing to note here is that the Directors Guild did choose Chloe here. So Mm -hmm. that's usually a pretty easy silver bullet for winning. That's a good tell right there. So yeah, I'm clearly going for for Chloe here. Um, What are you thinking? Oh yeah, no. There's. Why would I go away from the favorite? <laughs> That's a good question. In past years, though, you have, so I always have to ask. <laughs> well, in Speaking... the past years, we've had a more heated debate. Yeah. In this case, Clojao has won pretty sweepingly all the awards. Speaking of heated debates, next category is lead actress, and this is divided. There is I don't no think we've clear... seen a winner clear cut yeah. from this yet. There's no clear favorite yet. My data found three picks for Frances McDormand for Nomadland, three picks for Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman, and two picks for Viola Davis. Then the two that do not currently seem like they are front riders, Andra Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday and Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman. So I am taking a little bit of risk here by going with Viola Davis. And the reason why I'm doing that is because the SAG, she was the SAG winner here. Ooh, okay. So I'm erring towards the the acting block here. That could be bad for me since it does seem like everybody else thinks this is Francis McDormand or Carrie Mulligan. Where are you landing here? Uh, I would like to point out that Andra Day did win uh, the Golden Globe for Best yes. Actress. Yes. But so I'll a lot put of a these point have in her category there. Yeah, the one you have don't have. But a lot of these have been split between Francis McDormand and Carrie Mulligan. Mm-hmm. Francis McDormand won four, three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. True. Jack Carrie Mulligan has been nominated. I'm not sure if she won. She is a winner. But this might be her night. Yeah. Um, that being said, Viola Davis is an excellent choice. She's I want to say Viola Davis as well. My gut says Viola Davis. Hey, maybe go with your gut here. What do you What do you think? I say yes. She's been on a campaign to to basically become the Merrill's the new Merrill's. Yes, Street. for sure. I could see it. Also, I, yeah, you could make that argument with Frances McDormand as well. So it's dangerous how close this could be but yes i'll put you down for viola we'll be team viola and we'll both go down together for <laughs> all right moving on by the way that means that we're even right now because we have yeah. the same nomination oh no don't worry we will differ. we will divide later 
maybe right here, well, probably not actually, with lead actor, as lead actor is another one that's going in with a clear favorite, but I'll read the names just in case you don't know. First up, Riz Ahmed for The Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Stephen Yoon for Minari. Chadwick Boseman, of course, is the favorite here. I have every publication giving him due. SAG also uh, gave him the award. All of this, of course, posthumous. Uh, but I think there is no way that the Academy does not give this to Chadwick. There's literally only one way he can win the award, and that mm -hmm. is with this film. Yeah. We talked about this at the end of last year when the film came out and he was getting Oscar buzz for it. Posthumously, of course. Granted, um, Anthony Hopkins, tremendous performance in The Father. He's also won before. Gary Oldman, right. he's also won before. Right. Riz Ahmed is a very uh, good up-and-coming actor. I expect to see him back in this category. But yeah, Chadwick Boseman is going to be your favorite here. He's going to oh, win it. Clearly. And I expect his wife to have accepted on his behalf. I would imagine. Moving on to supporting actress. Also um, not to be left out, Stephen Yoon. Yes. I expect to be back here as well. But yeah, moving on to supporting actress. Uh, this, So there's not a necessarily runaway favorite here, but there does seem to be a trend developing recently in this category. Um, but let's read the names first. First, we have Maria Bakalova for the Borat sequel. We have Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy. Olivia Coleman for The Father, Amanda Seyfried for Mank, and Yu Zheng Yoon for Minari. Yu Zheng Yoon, big uh, lead right now. Uh, six different uh, publications have her down. She won the SAG Award as well. Um, seems like if Minari is going to win anything, this will be the category. And uh, it'll be good to see her. Uh, but Olivia Coleman, one shout out for her because she was a previous winner, so. I will shout out that every actress in this category has won this award mm -hmm. in a different publication. Right. So you can clearly make the case for anyone to win. Uh, I think your favorite is Yu Jung Yoon for yeah. Minari. That's the name I've seen a lot uh, across the board. Yeah, I think she's my pick here. I think Dark Horse is Olivia Coleman for The Father, though. Mm -hmm. I think I'll go with Olivia Coleman. Okay, all right. I like shaking it up a little bit here. You and TV Guide. <laughs> hey. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the next one, Supporting Actor. This, of course, is an interesting category this year, as there's a potential split vote between the two Judas and the Black Messiah actors. Uh, but we'll get there. First up in the category, Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of Chicago 7. Not Borat, believe it or not. <laughs> Daniel <laughs> Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, dot, dot, dot. I'm going to say the dot, dot, dot every time. Because I, will it's also, I would crazy. also have done that. <laughs> Paul Racy, Racy for Sound of Metal and Lakeith Stanfield also for Judas and the Black Messiah. This is pretty divided, although it seems like Daniel Kaluuya has a little bit of a lead uh, when you're looking at the data here. But Sasha Baron Cohen and Paul Racy are also possible winners here. 
Yeah, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, I think, should have been nominated as the lead. Lead, he, but had he done that, he clearly would have lost out to Chadwick Boseman. Mm-hmm. So this gives him an opportunity. It gives him the opportunity to win an award here. I have him down because of that. I think that that also because his performance in that film makes that film. It's the reason to watch that movie. I think bar none. And so if you say that about a movie, then you probably should win. <laughs> right. Even though the movie opens and closes with Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah, but it's such a different kind of performance. It's a, the more dominating role happens to be Kaluuya's and he takes advantage of that. And I think you're right. I go with Daniel Kaluuya on this one. Yeah. All righty. Next up. Although the... I do think it is an it is unacceptable that Lakeith Stanfield doesn't get an award for this. Right, but still. But still, under these circumstances, we are presented with. Makes sense. Next are the screenplay nominations here, the screenplay categories. Um, yeah, my perfect streak ended last year as I got both of them incorrect. I'm hoping to recover this year with some surefire favorites. Seems like that even though the field is pretty split on both of these, there are one movie each with a little bit of a lead out. First up with original screenplay, nominees include Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and the Chicago, sorry, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Right now, it seems like publications are split between Promising Young Woman and The Trial of Chicago 7. Promising Young Woman won for the Writers Guild, which is notable here. Uh, But Trial of the Chicago 7 has Aaron Sorkin behind it, a established winner of this category. So that seems to be the 5-3 split that I have noted here. And if I'm a general voting public of this block and I see Aaron Sorkin, it's kind of a note, why would I vote against him at this point? I think you're not wrong, but the buzz behind Promising Young Woman's writing I think maybe enough to push it above. And so that's my pick here. Uh, I will split you on that and go with the trial of Chicago mm-hmm. 7. Okay. Well, we'll see. We've got adapted, even more split and adapted all over the place with this one. First up, Borat subsequent movie film, which note to note um, took the Writers Guild Award in its category. Mm-hmm. The Father. Nomadland, One Night in Miami, dot, 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 and The White Tiger. So you can probably count The White Tiger out. It's the odd one out in this category. Nobody seems to have it on their radar. Nomadland has a little bit of a lead here in picks, followed by Borat, thanks to that WGA nod. So otherwise, one each for the father in Miami. So it might be all over the place. It might be all over the place, but seeing as the Nomadland is kind of the favorite all around, mm-hmm. it's easy to fall into that category of yeah. just pick it across the board. I have Nomadland here for that reason. Um, also, I think it's because it's an interesting adaptation. It's not a direct adaptation of that book. It takes a lot of improvised dialogue, which is interesting mm-hmm. for a screenplay uh, to be nominated here. And so it could be viewed as the uh, the Academy doing something a little off of left field not totally a weird choice but definitely not something traditionally that would have been here now if Chloe Zhao is nominated under this I 
uh, as a credit for it, I might be more inclined to choose it. That being said, as much as like as like one night Miami to win because it is kind of an abstract piece, I'm going to go with the father on this one. Interesting. Okay. If it wins anything, this will be it. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much this or supporting <laughs> actress. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So interesting adapted screenplay to watch there. Next up, the animated film category. Clear favorite for this one. We don't need to Pixar tell you. versus Pixar. It's Pixar versus Pixar with Onward and Soul both nominated. Filling out the others, though, are two more films that I actually saw this year. This is a first. I've only not seen one of these. Uh, Netflix is Over the Moon. Also in Netflix, uh, the Ardman animated Ashan the Sheep movie, Farmageddon. And then rounding out Wolf Walkers, which is a cartoon collective film. Uh, they're a bunch that has won this category before. Uh, but yes. Uh, I believe Wolf Walkers is on Apple TV. Plus. It is an Apple TV uh, streaming right now if you want to watch it. I watched it. I didn't think it was that great, honestly. I was pretty disappointed with this thing, but it seems to be critically acclaimed in animation circles. So it does have a potential leg up here, but that is only if Soul somehow loses this. This is Soul's to lose. I think it's Soul by a mile. Oh, are you done talking? Because I've already <laughs> highlighted Soul for the win here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's no way it doesn't, but I say Wolf Walkers is your dark horse here. Uh, Soul did win the Annie Award for Best Feature. Wolf Walkers yes. did win the Annie Award for Best Independent Feature. Right. But Big Man usually wins out in that case. It's Pixar here. <laughs> yeah. Next up, documentary film. This one's divided two ways. We'll start with the top here, though. Collective, also noted, uh, notable here. The collective, collective is also nominated in, in international film as well. Just FYI. Crip Camp colon a disability revolution. This one's notable because this is produced by former President Barack Obama. Just to mention, just to mention that. The Mole Agent. Then My Octopus Teacher, which is on Netflix right now, and Time. Seems like publication-wise, My Octopus Teacher and Time are divided. Octopus Teacher has a little bit of leg up because this is what the Producers Guild and the Directors Guild gave nods to. And that's what I would look forward to when making these predictions. Because mm -hmm. uh, most people, honestly, don't watch the documentary feature unless right. it's nominated elsewhere. Like in this case, The Collective is. Then it might get more eyes on it. But for nominations, you want to look at past winners, Producers Guild, and Directors Guild. I did a little bit of research, and my pick is also My Octopus yeah. Teacher. And it's on Netflix, so if you're curious about this, it's easily accessible. I know a friend of the show, Christy, wants to watch, the, wants to watch this at some point, so I may do that. All right, next up, the aforementioned international film category. Uh, first year that it's being called this, but you know what it is. First up, Another Round. Better Days, Collective, The Man Who Sold His Skin, and Quo Vadis Aida? Question mark? Uh, another round is your clear favorite here. Seems like in every publication I saw, uh, this took it. Uh, people seem to think that because the director is nominated in the directing category, that this is a shoe-in. And that is your big indicator there. 
like I said, with the collective being nominated documentary feature, if it's nominated in a different category, strong sign that it's seen as a favorable film. Mm-hmm. In this case, yes, directing is a very strong category and very strong indicator. So another round should take it. Yep. All right, moving on. I'll put you down for that one then, I'm guessing. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next up, score. This one's another interesting story this year as uh, two favorites of this category have uh, two, uh, one favorite of this, or I guess two, they're two people, uh, favorite of the category are nominated twice for two different movies in this category this year. So they're battling themselves. And that, of course, is Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Yep. We're nominated both for Soul and for Mank here. But also in the running here, The Five Bloods, Minari, and News of the World. So is it che- cheating just to say Trent Reznor for the win? Yes, because so I initially <laughs> had marked Mank here. I didn't think that Soul uh, had a chance as much as the more traditional winner in Mank. And I've seen both, so I can I can basically say like, well, do I remember the music in both? Actually, I do remember the music in both, so that didn't help either. But it seems like the favorite seems to be Soul right now, uh, and I think the argument most of these publications made is that because the movie is itself about music, it's way more important. It's also interesting that this film has two very different approaches to the score, whether it's in on the earth portion of the film or in the more abstracted portion of the film, two very different parts of the score, and they sound very different. So that's another possible reason why this one takes it. So I moved to Soul, and that's my pick now. I think that that's convincing to me. So you're going with Soul over Sound of Metal, which is the drummer? (laughs) Sound of Metal is not nominated in this category. Important to note. Uh, It is in Sound. It's not, this is not sound category. This is the score category. Oh, I'm looking at the sound category. <laughs> well, we'll get there. I'll get there. First up, score, and that is not nominated. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For original score, then yes, Soul. Soul is definitely going to take it here. Um, not, a, not a chance. Let's move to sound now, since you've seen Rare and to Go. I'm sorry. Um, I was looking at that because both <laughs> Soul and Mank are nominated there as well. Yes. But sound, as you mentioned, is the Sound of Metal's category to lose here. That film yep. is basically designed to do this. Um, so they combined sound mixing and sound editing into just sound. Which is why you don't have yes. the difference. It's just one. And Sound of Metal is basically a music video in itself. If <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody won last year because of it, mm-hmm. Sound of Metal will win this year for yes. the exact same reasons. It's this to lose. But in case you're ca- curious about the rest of this category, the other nominees are Greyhound, Mank, News of the World, and Soul. But yes, like, like you said, Sound of Metal is the favorite. I'm going with it. Sounds like you're going with it as well. Yes. All right. Next, though, is an interesting category this year. Song. Your nominees are Fight for You from Judas and the Black Messiah, Hear My Voice from Trial of the Chicago 7, Husavik from the Eurovision Song Contest, colon, the story, the story of Fire Saga, Low C from The Life Ahead, and Speak Now, not the Taylor Swift one, 
for one night in Miami, dot, dot, dot. So publications are divided here. Seems like there's a, a strong upcurrent of support for the Eurovision song because of how Netflix is pushing it so hard um, that that might actually influence some of the voters. But seems like the favorite just by one pick is the One My- Night in Miami song, Speak Now. Uh, that being said, I was like, I think this goes to either the Judas and the Black Messiah song or the Trial of Chicago 7 song because of the moment that we're having. So I'm leaning towards Black Messiah here. I might be an outlier, but I'm going to keep it there because my gut says it's going to be one of those. And that's the one I think is going to win. I like your thinking there because we are dealing with, I'll throw my um, tinfoil hat on quotes around here. Hollywood liberal elites. (laughs) Who will be choosing this winner? Um, you're probably not wrong there, but then again, One Night in Miami is also falling under that category, and it is a past winner. Um, trying to think here, I would go with the Trial of Chicago Seven. I think it might play better. Although you're right, it could be split with Fight for You. Yeah, I of think. Of course, when they do perform <laughs> these. We won't, they're not just basing it off of that performance. Um, they're basing it off of the recorded uh, performance. Right. So, yeah, let's go with Hear My Voice. Okay. All right. So, yeah, all over the place then for us. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Next up in the yeah. categories here. Yeah, there's no easy Disney song to point to and say. No, not this year. No. One. And weirdly enough, Soul did not have a song, really. It had lots of songs, but not necessarily one clear, like, nominee here. Interesting that they did that. Anyway, next up, we move into... We move into the technical uh, categories here. Oh, I guess we kind of were already there in sound, but you made me skip to sound. So let's go to makeup and hairstyling next. First up, Emma, Hillbilly Elegy, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, and Pinocchio. I didn't even know there was an adaptation of Pinocchio this year until these awards. (laughs) Um, Seems like the, the, uh, the favorite is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom in this category. Seems like because it is a period piece, as what typically wins in this category, it is seen as a favorite. Uh, and yeah, most of the uh, most of the uh, publications had this as your sure winner, except for one nod for Emma. Period. Um, one of our media book favorites here to say. Yes, because Emma. Period <laughs> is also a period piece as well, yes. based off the Jane Austen novel, Emma. And of course, you're probably yelling at your screen now saying that Mank is also a period piece. I think it's a three-way race between those three, but if I'm going to pick one, I'm actually erring towards Emma here. Because if it, I, I feel like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is going to be in the other category, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Uh, and so I think that they'll split it and let somebody else win makeup. That's where I was leaning initially as well for okay. Emma. All right. But yeah, Maureen's Black Bottom definitely also could win this. It also will win the next category, which is costume design. Emma is also nominated here, as is Mank, Mulan, and Pinocchio. 
I think Mulan may have a dark horse chance here, but this is Ma Rainey's category to lose. All the publications had this one winning it. Uh, not a nod for anything else. Mulan has been pushed hard in this category by Disney to express mm -hmm. how much detail went to it. Mm -hmm. That being said, period pieces win out all the time. So I'm going with Emma. <laughs> I'm not, not splitting, unlike you. <laughs> I'm sticking with Ma Rainey here, uh, but interesting. All right, next up, cinematography. Tough two-way tie for the lead in this category. Seems like publications like Mank because of what it does with black and white. Mm -hmm. However, the trick with Mank, though, it's a lot of effects and not a lot of in-camera work. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Nomadland, which takes a very documentary style approach to it, which a lot of the voting block will appreciate. So seems like Nomadland is a lead by a leg, but Mank could win here. The rest of the category is Judas and the Black Messiah, News of the World, and the Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, hmm. Yes, cinematography usually goes to the... Would go, I would say, to David Fincher and Mank. Mm -hmm. Typically. Mm -hmm. But because you have such a unique eye and such a unique story being told with Nomadland, and especially the way it was filmed guerrilla style with different production crews and the only surefire constant being Chloe Zhao, which she is nominated as the cinematographer <laughs> for here. Yeah. I'm going to go with Chloe Zhao and Nomadland. Yeah, I'm also with Nomadland here. I would not be surprised if there's a Mank upset here because I feel like there's a big dividing line between the old-fashioned and the new-fashioned. I think that people are going to be like, well, that's not real cinematography. So, yeah, we'll see. And so with that split, we have Judas and the Black Messiah. <laughs> Maybe, but probably not. Probably uh, not. Let's move on. Production design. This one, clear favorite. This is Mank's category because... Yeah. One publication I read, I think it was the New Yorker piece, basically said, without the, without the production design of this film, Mank doesn't work because you have to have it believably, believably set in that era of Hollywood or else the whole thing fails to work. So yeah, every publication I had has Mank down here. Also in this category, The Father, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, News of the World, and Tenet. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom could pull an upset here mm -hmm. um, because it is also a period piece and you have to make it like you said, believable. That being said, make I don't have to make anywhere else and I feel like I should give it something. Yeah. So this would be the one place to give it something. It would. This is it. Yeah. Unfortunately. Or fortunately, depending on how you land on David. <laughs> depending on where you land. Uh, yeah, I that movie is technically very well done. So I think technical awards is where it has an advantage here. Is That's what I will say. Moving on to another technical award, film editing. First up in this, The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. This is split two ways again. You have a lot of publications handing this to Sound of Metal because of its, as you mentioned earlier, music video-esque approach but then you have the actual editing guild which i don't have on this spreadsheet but i did see it mentioned in a publication actual editors seem to have the trial of chicago seven here 
which gives it a potential leg up. And a couple of other publications also expressed favoritism for that. So it seems like it's between those two. I'm being very careful here. I'm going with Trial of the Chicago 7. I'm going to take those editors at their, fa at their face value here. Right. And like I said, with sound, that in the sound category, that Sound of Metal does have the leg up here for film editing. That being said, <laughs> Chloe Zhao is hmm. the wild here. card here for sure. Is the wild card. If people in the Academy want her to be the sweep and win for the four major awards, she would need this one in order to do it. I am mm -hmm. going to throw my dark horse pick here and say no Madland. Ah, okay. Exciting. This is like that that um the prop bet split where <laughs> you pick that dark horse in order to separate yourself from the rest of the pack. Yeah. Well, that might work out for you. We'll see. That being Next said, up, you should probably pick Sound of Metal. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe, but I'm still going with Trials Chicago 7 here. Okay, and I'm going with Nomadland, so neither right. of us. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we'll both lose. All right, next up, one we won't lose is visual effects. I'm going to leave the favorite for last year. Your nominees are Love and Monsters, The Midnight Sky, Mulan, The One and Only Ivan, and your winner, Tenet, which has to win this category because it's the reason why it exists. That being said, <laughs> The Midnight Sky could win because space. <laughs> You're not wrong, but every publication has Tenet for this. It's a shoe-in to win. It's the only thing it'll win. We thought that two years ago, and then First Man came and won visual <laughs> effects. You're not wrong. And then Ad Astra came last year and won visual <laughs> effects. You're not. And Midnight Sky <laughs> is now this year looking to win visual effects. You're not wrong. All three of them but, are space-bound movies. But here's the difference, though. A lot of the publications I read pointed out the same thing in a lot of these categories, which is voting happened from home this year. A lot of these movies were not seen in theaters. That is key. So I don't think you're going to have this more subtle effects pop as much when you're watching at home. I think the big bombastic shit will win, which is why I think Tenet takes it. Also, if Tenet's going to win anything, it's going to be it's here. It has to be this. So what can I put you down for? Are you oh, going no, to you're stick not with... wrong. Tenet's going to win. I'm just yeah. making the case that if yeah. you see an upset, it's not really an upset. So are you going with Tenet here? You're going yes, to risk I'm going with Tenet. On... Okay. No risk I'm on saying, Midnight Sky. If you see Sky. Midnight Sky win, it's because there's a pattern. <laughs> we'll see. Next up, short uh, documentary short subject. These are always the most fun categories, this and the next two, because who the hell knows? <laughs> um, first up, Colette. A concerto is a conversation, do not split, hunger ward, and a love song for Latasha. This is when this data comes in handy. Your current four uh, favorites are split into two between a love song for Latasha with three picks and a concerto is a conversation with two. Not a very big lead. So I'm going to go, I'm going with the current minor favorite with a love song for Latasha here knowing nothing about any of these films. Going based off of um, title only, I would too would go for a love song for yeah. Latasha. Seems like it has an advantage right now in the conversation that it could 
keep for Sunday. Next up, short film. Your nominees include Feeling Through, The Letter Room, The Present, Two Distant Strangers, and White Eye. Another one where the data helps, Two Distant Strangers seems to be the favorite amongst the publications I saw. With, the, with four picks, The Letter Room only getting one. Um, so yeah, I'm going with Two Distant Strangers as it does seem to be well liked. Well, let's not break the bread here. <laughs> Let, let's, let's, uh, wait, that's not the right word. <laughs> not the right phrasing. I can, I can break bread whenever I want. Just yeah. watch me do it. No, we're, we're not breaking stride here. I'm going with the same thing. Okay, fair enough. And then your final category, animated short film. This very div- divided among the publications I saw today. First up, Pixar's Burrow, Genius Loci, If Anything Happens, I Love You, Opera, and Yes People. So the publications are split three ways. One pick for Pixar's Burrow, because Pixar. Three picks for If Anything Happens, I Love You. That seems to be the independent favorite here. And then one pick for Opera. I'm going to go with Burrow here because my gut Pixar instinct kicked in. But if I was a betting man, there might be some heat on if anything happens, I love you. I am also pulling on that Pixar train, which is why I'm picking Fetch. Because it's the better one. Well, it's not nominated. Not nominated. But it's the better of the short animated films. not nominated. Fine. Burrow. That was better. All right. So, well, I guess that leaves it for Sunday. Those are all the categories. Those are our picks. Um, do you have any kind of like narrative that you think they're going to fall? I mean, you seem to be of the narrative that Nomad Land is your sweep. I'm only saying that because as soon as that happens, Disney will release Eternals trailer <laughs> saying five time <laughs> winner. Yes. Chloe Zhao. Academy Award winner. I mean, they can already say Academy Award nominees, so they're just getting... Oh, oh, but so there's two trailers made. One is nominee and one is winner. They want to release the winner one. Definitely. I mean, yeah, it'll be an interesting night. I think that, um, yeah, I think that Nomadland's going to be your favorite for most of the categories it's in, if not all. Um, But yeah, ultimately, though, there's a lot of toss-ups here in the acting categories and the screenplay categories and some of the technical ones. So it'll be quite an interesting night. I don't think that there's a full ballot that's really easy to call at this point. No, and usually we're good on this. Combined, yeah. we're about uh, 21 out of 24, correct? Yeah, more or less. We're always above 20. Yes. Uh, I think last year was our worst year. but Last year was our worst year ever with, I think, well, 16. 17, 16, yeah. We'll make it up this year, though. Yep. I think that we've got some strong picks here. Speaking of strong picks, the bits are back because there is so much movie news that we need to cover it in all at once. So let's talk about the other things that happened in movie world this week. First Hit me with up, the bits. Yeah, let's talk about some bits. First up, Mads Mikkelsen has joined Harrison Ford in the upcoming Indiana Jones 5. So yeah, some of the casting was confirmed, including the two of them. Um, and yeah, that movie's still happening. Believe it or not, against all odds, I don't know if we want to see old-ass Harrison Ford again, though. I'm not saying we should. I'm just saying it's it's going to happen. 
It's going to happen. It exists, but here we are. Mads Mikkelsen is a good pick, though. He's a good, like, villain to face mm-hmm. Harrison Ford, I think. Age-appropriate, too. <laughs> I like <laughs> <Roughly>. him good. <laughs> Next up in the bits, a teaser trailer for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings came out this week. That movie is still slated for later this year. Yes, but it's also our first look ever of yeah. that film. What'd you think? Early look there. Uh, early look. It's got some potential. Um, definitely doesn't feel... It feels more like Mulan in present day. But that could be just because Disney. Yeah. I'm comparing the two. We will see. Next up. Soul, as you mentioned earlier when we were talking about it, won seven Annie Awards during their annual presentation, including Best Feature, while the aforementioned Wolf Walkers took home five, including Best Independent Film. So yeah, puts those as early frontrunners for the animation category in the Oscars. But we both went with Soul. Yeah, but Soul seems to be your winner. Next up, if you're a fan of PBS things, then you should be happy to know that they're making a second Downton Abbey film. That after be coming. they said they wouldn't. Yeah, after they said they wouldn't. <laughs> coming this Christmas. So get ready. Hopefully all those grandmas will be vaccinated and will be excited to go back to the theaters. Yes, you are cordially invited back to Christmas theaters. Yeah. Speaking of big theatrical releases, the uh, anticipated by the Hamilton Hive in the Heights is due to premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York. That will be its first place that it'll be um what's the term shown not shown premiered premiered yes um i know some people close to the show they're very very excited for this movie uh to note though it will also be an hbo max simul release so you don't have to go nowhere to see it but yes that'll be there yes but seeing as the film in the heights is canonically set in upstate new york (laughs) hey tribeca is literally right there for it it makes sense to do it that way Next up, Denzel Washington, I guess we could say media boat favorite Denzel Washington, is set to direct media boat favorite Michael B. Jordan in a a journal for Jordan, which is set for a December 10th New York release and December 22 wide. Note about that December 22nd wide release, though, that puts it against The Matrix 4, Sing 2, and The King's Man, all set for that Christmas week. And the aforementioned Downton Abbey 2 as well. So busy, busy traffic week for what theater chains and studios are hoping is the proper return to form for the movie business. Movie release date is very big in the movie industry. Mm -hmm. Usually expect around five films to be released. All of them are typically sequels or big budget films. And hey, look at that. I count one, two, three, four sequels for Christmas already. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, remains to be seen if how many people will actually go into movies that week, but uh, hey, there'll and be movies available. That's not to mention that the aforementioned Eternals movie, directed by Chloe Zhao, is expected to come out in December as mm-hmm. well. Either November would, or December. I would bet, though, they did the, Dis- the traditional Disney move, which is a week before as opposed to the week of. Oh, yeah. That's my guess. That's mm-hmm. a, probably a 17th, 18th, around that window. All right. If not moved up to Thanksgiving. Yeah, if not a Thanksgiving release, you're right. Because I think currently Shang-Chi is September. 
but if they want to bump that back to mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, then expect a crowded with Eternals right after that. Happen. All right, that wraps up for movie news. Did you watch any movies this week? No. All right, good, because I didn't either, and we need to move on, so I'm glad. Let's turn right yeah, that on. That was a short response. Yep, I'm glad. Uh, let's turn right into the television news, where we always start with our sports corner. Oh, sports. tomorrow is a big sports day. Yeah, sports popping off. As you mentioned last week, tomorrow is the beginning of the NFL draft in Cleveland. The Jaguars, Jets, and 49ers are all expected to take quarterbacks with the top three draft positions. So your uh, media book favorite uh, COVID king is probably going to be the first of those, right? Yes. Um, college COVID, Trevor Lawrence is expected to be the first pick and new quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that does mean personal favorite and former fantasy quarterback Garden Minshew the second is kind of out of a job now. Well, too bad for him. Any other uh, important names we should be looking for during this draft? Um, yes. Okay. Do you have them ready to sell? <laughs> no, no. Okay. Not readily available. That's fine. Um, but it, it will be interesting to see where the Heisman winner goes. Typically, it should be hot or high. But seeing as the first three are going quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. <laughs> The earliest they could probably go is Atlanta Falcons, who mm. already have Julio Jones on their mm. roster. Yeah. Be interesting to see. Next up, meanwhile, baseball. Uh, Devontae Smith. Uh, Devontae Smith. Thank you. Next up in Major League Baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers, your reigning World Series champs, are the first team this year this season to reach 10 wins. So congratulations to the Dodgers. Everybody and then the kind of hovering. on a nine-game winning streak. And yeah. your top team has 12 wins. Yeah. So I think you're, they're all hovering around that, that area. But local um, team angels have yet to hit that double-digit mark. Yeah, but they'll get there. They'll get there. Oh, they should have gotten there today. Well, <laughs> less said about that, the better. Now, um, you can hear our frustration at the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> yes. Meanwhile, in uh, the world of racing, a couple of notes, Talladega on Sunday. So yes. Enjoy um, your for Talladega those of you, Bobby, night. Bobby and the only yep. race you probably know of, <laughs> Talladega is this Sunday. Yep. yep. Talladega during the na- day and then whatever happens at night happens at night. Yep. Then expect Eric Church to be there singing Talladega. Yeah. Then the next uh, race that you've probably heard of, the Indianapolis 500 will be hosting 135,000 fans when it takes place, which will be the largest sport event currently held in the U.S. under COVID rules. This will be Memorial Day weekend, and 135,000 sounds like a lot, but it's only 40% capacity. Right. So it's still 40% capacity, even with that high-ass number, because of how many people they can pack in there, so... Yeah, racing, still happening. Then the last bit was probably the big sports story of the week. I'll let you take most of this because you didn't hold, write a whole lot about it. So but this would the, have been TV yes. news, except it's in Europe. So it's not really right. TV news. So we're not going to dwell too much about it. But yeah. but yeah, the big sports story of the weekend, mm-hmm. European Super League. Yeah, so the Super League. Uh, go ahead and explain what, what happened and what's going on and why it's not happening. Um, so, soccer. Terrible mm-hmm. here. 
huge in the UK and yes. Europe. Unless you're unless you're the US women's team, that's another conversation. Yes. Unless you're Alex Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> um, so all the teams in Europe are separated by region and by country, typically. Mm-hmm. So that's why you have Champions League, Premier League, um, the, the West League, the Indy League, and a bunch of other different little sub-leagues that all the big stars go to play outside of playing for the country for FIFA. So you have teams like Real Madrid, Barcelona, um, Chelsea, uh, uh, Manchester United, all these big names that never play against each other except in exhibition matches because they're not interleague. Mm-hmm. Well, a bunch of U.S. businessmen, and yes, these are U.S. businesses and men, um, have taken in recent these past several years large investments in these in these clubs and leagues and kind of like you know want their investment back so in order to draw big dollar money from dollar money is my favorite kind of money of course it's it's (laughs) how you make the big paychecks you get the dollar monies (laughs) so in order to make these kind of investments profitable they want their big club name to play against other big club names so they decided to form the Super League of the exclusive big names in order to compete against each other, which completely shuts out and completely um, rewrites hundreds of years of history of clubs and fandom, and which is why it's such a big deal, because you're basically becoming an elite league and shooing away all the little people, all the little clubs. Right. To put this in U.S. terms, take college football, huge money-making college football. Alabama makes no money playing Tuscaloosa every year, but they're in the same conference. Imagine if Alabama took itself and wanted to play against Clemson, Notre Dame, UCLA, USC, Oregon, LSU, and Syracuse in a new – oh, and, and the Ohio State. How could I forget about you? in a new super NCAA league, leaving all the other little teams out of, out in the, out in the snow, to, so to say. It's kind of like that. It's yeah. taking all the best clubs. Well, sorry, not the best clubs, because some of these clubs haven't won championships in the past 10 years, but have had enough cash pumped into them to obtain some of the elite players of the game. So the big markets of the European League are getting together to form a Super League, leaving all the smaller markets out in the cold. And that's why it's caused such an uproar, because you're upheaving hundreds of years of rival history just to make money. Hopefully I explained that correctly. Mm -hmm. But this is pure money from a business standpoint, and as we say here on the Media Bow Podcast... It's a business. It is a business. So they're treating this like a business, and FIFA and the UEFA have organizations have both come out mm-hmm. and have said that if you form the Super League, you cannot compete in our leagues. A real quick side note before we continue: Amazon has Series S in stock right now. Do you want one? <laughs> <laughs> 
send you the link real quick. I don't know how long it's going to last. Just no, so you know. Okay. I'll wait for the next round. <laughs> you got the alert for it? <laughs> yeah, I do have the alert. <laughs> I should turn those off now. I'm good. Anyway. Oh, we'll get to that later. We'll get there. But yeah, no, you're right. So ultimately, this is not happening because the Premier League shot it down. Is that correct? That's what I had read. Um, Premier League is sh- shooting it down mm, currently. Yeah. They can still do this because they are technically independent organizations that can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. But because they are under an umbrella, they may be able to skirt away with it. Unsure. But the Premier League has come out and said that if you do this, we will kick you out of the Premier League. Because that's part of what makes it the Premier League fun is that there's a bunch of, as Ted Lasso, for those of you who have watched that have shown, there's the Premier League, and then there's all the other leagues who winner gets bumped up and losers get bumped out. So it's a constantly rotating right. uh, cycle of different teams. Right. Which, by oh, the way, on the subject, real quick, subject, yes. Ted Go Lasso for it. You 2 trailer is out. <laughs> yeah, and uh, July 23rd is when uh, season two will, will start. Yes. We are on the same brain wavelength. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Important news. Yes. But yeah, big controversy kind of being stricken down. Mm-hmm. Got fans all upset about it. As a casual fan, it sounds great that, oh, big club versus big club. That's great. That's what I want to pay and see, which there's huge money in those broadcasting rights. But as fans have clearly voiced on Twitter and social media everywhere, it's a bad, bad idea. And the only thing it benefits is these all re- these p- these players who get to play a game for money and they just get to continue playing it get paid more yeah so business decision being businessy but yeah yeah but yeah it kind of made waves but it doesn't look like it's probably going to happen but yeah it seems like underneath it all it was just basically a bur- bunch of american businessmen trying to make money off of the popularity of soccer but soccer diehards looks like they won't be having any of it not surprisingly no and like i said it's these american businessmen who see arsenal the name as an investment and want to make return on their investment so they want big name to play big name right even though you're uprooting years and years of history and might not even be the best team you're playing against but because you have the name and cachet behind it and fan base behind it, they want only those elite of the elite to play against each other, even though it's not good for the game. Clearly. For the love of the game. Let love of the game. lie. <laughs> All right. So anything oh. else in sports before we move out of sports? Lastly, in sports and sports entertainment, real briefly, okay. there is a new announcer at the table for Friday Night Smackdown. Okay. None other than the number one player in Indianapolis Colts history. He's the number one player on that roster for 13 years. Number one uh, most beloved player in all of Indianapolis. He's come on to uh, WLE to be the co-announcer. Okay. None other than Pat McAfee. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah that's who we were all thinking about 
Well, yeah, he wore number one as the punter for the Colts for <laughs> 15 years. All, he was a nine-time pro bowler. Yeah, he was number one. Yeah, therefore he was the number one on the team. He's the number, <laughs> number one, one in our on the team. And number one in our hearts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's weird. Sure, why not? It is weird, but he also has that right raspy voice for color commentary. Yeah. So, and he gets excited real fast. Um, this past Friday was one surprise announcement because WWE fired a lot of people, including the previous announcer, Samoa Joe, <laughs> literally that Thursday before he was announced. Thanks. Yeah. So it was like a mass exodus of people they had on contract, and then they bring him in and signed a bunch of other people and a bunch of shuffling going around because WrestleMania was the previous Sunday. So now's the time to mm-hmm. reshuffle for the new season. Right. And well, now we're done with sports. Now we're done with sports. Thank you for that report. Our intrepid yeah, um, sports um, reporter. As a Indianapolis Colts fan and fan of punter Pat McAfee. <laughs> yes. As well Thank as, you. I guess, um, personality now that he yeah. does his own like serious XM show. Okay. Well, with that, let's move on into television news proper. We got a couple of bangers for you. First up, Hillary Duff. Yeah, Hillary Duff. Remember her? Yeah, she's the singer. Well, she's in the news this week for a new product. Yeah, a product. Wow, product. A new, uh, a new project she's working on that will sound familiar to a lot of our fan base. She's set to produce and headline a long-awaited spinoff of popular 2000 sitcom How I Met Your Mother called, get this, How I Met Your Father. Bum, bum, bum. I know. It has received a straight-to-series order at Hulu for a 10-episode first season. The original series creators Carter Bays and Craig Thomas are on board as executive producers, though it remains to be seen how the new series will be connected to its predecessor. A spinoff of How I Met Your Mother has been in the works since way back in 2014. Originally, Greta Gerwig was attached, with Meg Ryan as the narrator, but that pilot was DOA with the second attempt back in 2016. However, the success of This Is Us immediately shelved that product project, uh, kind of leaving it to the doldrums of, of NBC's back catalog, CBS's, um, one of those, CBS. whoever was going to take it. Um, Hillary Duff is currently on, still on Paramount Plus's Younger, but I believe that is in its final season. Correct. Uh, that's wrapping up very soon. Also, Hillary Duff's Lizzie McGuire revival was scrapped by Disney Plus and will not be going forward, meaning she has some spare time. So yeah, I think this is a good pick. I feel like she's a likable person that could be a lead in a sitcom like this. Um, I think that time jumping, like retelling aspect of How I Met Your Mother was unique at the time and still I think in the sea of sitcoms would still be unique now so if they take a similar approach with how I met your father I think it totally work especially on Hulu where you can have Mm -hmm. not only just a bomb but also weekly episodes depending how they go and it has a very unique style visually as well that I think plays well to those kind of quick cuts fast comedy action that was the style of How I Met Your Mother. And streaming uh, streaming offers a level of freedom that may, maybe they wouldn't have on network, as well as a, lo- a layer of flexibility. They can get a little wild uh, with the right. format. Which is where the original kind of leaks came out from Lizzie McGuire of wanting it to be a more adult contemporary uh, mm-hmm. show. 
but Disney wasn't having it. And that's why that project was scrapped. Makes sense. So this allows her to kind of get into that a more adult contemporary comedic style that she was looking yeah. for. I hope this happens because there's a lot to like looking back ab- about How I Met Your Mother, except for the stuff that doesn't age very well. But I feel like a show with a female lead and a female focus helps with that problem a lot. <laughs> it does solve a lot of the major problems. Uh-huh. Yeah. Major problems. Major problems. That in itself is a How I Met Your Mother reference. Yes, it is. That we still use to this day. And I shoved that in there specifically <laughs> for that. Thank you for that. Let's move on to our second story. This is uh, our once a month Jeopardy check-in because we have to do it. It's legally required for the Media Book Podcast to tell you what's Except, happening on Jeopardy. And I think we can stop with these after this. I mean, I think <laughs> I said that last time, but this is supposed to wrap up the rest of the season and they're supposed to have a air picked by then. Because uh, oh, this goes up until August. Well, let's break it down. Let's see what's going to happen from here till August. The final guest host schedule for Jeopardy has been released with five new celebrities ready to take on the power of the lectern. Following Aaron Rodgers last week, is currently seeing... From uh, Dr. Oz the week before. Yeah. Uh, Is currently uh, CNN anchor Anderson Cooper. Then 60 Minutes correspondent Bill Whitaker. And then former champion Buzzy Cohen will return to host the Tournament of Champions. Buzzy and all his circle glasses. Yes. The series will pick back up proper after the tournament with neuroscientist Mayim Bialik, a.k.a. Blossom. Today's today co-anchor Savannah Guthrie, CNN medical correspondent Dr. Sanjay Gupta, GMA co-anchors George Stephanopoulos, and then Robin Roberts. The show will wrap up this season with internet favorite LeVar Burton, CNBC co-host David Faber, and two-time Hall of Fame announcer Joe Buck. The cumulative earnings of all contestants who compete during the guest host tenure will be donated to a charity of the host choosing. I'm weirdly excited to hear Joe Buck do Jeopardy. <laughs> he has a distinctive football-ass voice that, like... You mean World Series-ass voice. All of the above. <laughs> He's a man of many calls. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's probably why he was picked here. Cause... Yeah. He's got that voice. He's got that voice. Yeah, after watching one episode with uh, Aaron uh, with Aaron Rodgers, I'm like, not working for me. I didn't want to say that he sounded bored, but he definitely felt like he wanted to go to a lower register. Yeah, but he couldn't. doesn't have the charisma part down. Mm-hmm. And just, he doesn't know what to say to the poor people who are telling them their stories. He was just like, <laughs> okay, <That's nice. laughs> moving on. <laughs> uh, no, no Alex Trebek, but then again, Who is? No Alex Trebek. Anyway, that'll do it for television news. Let's talk about television thoughts. You watched the potential end of something? So did you not watch this? I'm behind in this show. Did you forget that it was on? No, I have not forgotten. I just haven't gone back to season three. Oh, okay. So you stopped after season two. I stopped after season two. Uh, Not out of want to, but just... It just didn't come up. Okay. Well, unfortunately, this may be the end of that series, talking, of course, cryptically about the cryptic train itself, Infinity Train. Uh, As book four was recently released, and Mm -hmm. as it has yet to be picked up for a fifth season, 
looks to be its last. And unfortunately, I'd like to say it ends on kind of a downer note. Mm. Um, this past season didn't see a lot of the lore that we had from the first three seasons. This one was more character-driven, character-specific, and not a whole... It kind of got back into the heart of what the Infinity Train is, which is about building yourself up, being a character builder and yeah. kind of righting the wrong, see the errors of your ways. Self-improvement. A better person. Self-improvement. And that's mainly what this season was and kind of focused on. You didn't get a lot of lore. You didn't get a lot more mystery about the train. You didn't get a lot of what I think more people gravitated to from the first three seasons. Because mm-hmm. a lot of it wasn't ending on cliffhangers where you wanted to see the next episode. There was a mystery to unravel. This past season wasn't that. It was very straightforward. These guys need, these two guys need to figure out their problem and overcome and become better people because people need to grow and change. It kind of feels weird ending on this note because it doesn't feel like a satisfying, satisfying conclusion enough. But yeah. then again, in terms of Infinity Train, where each car is its own dimension, you can do whatever you want and be as crazy and wacky and zany as you want. It does feel weird that it kind of ended on this very straightforward kind of arc. It's the downside of having such an open-ended premise is that everyone's going to be unique. And if you just happen to have make your last one not feel very final because it was you were going for a very specific tone, that's just the way it's going to be. Um, part of me hopes that they let them do maybe like a one-shot special to end it. If they don't renew it kind proper, of. that would be nice. But there's like there's also like a lot of questions that will never get answered if it ends here. Yeah, which sucks. Um, then again, there are questions. Those are questions that diehard fans are asking too, and probably not casual viewers. Yeah, it's yeah, it's tough. Uh, it's been a show that I feel like has always been on the sidelines of Cartoon Network stuff because it just doesn't bring in the viewership um, like so much of their other stuff does. Mm-hmm. It's just, unfortunately, it just hasn't ever delivered for them. And so that it's very hard probably for the network to make an argument, even if it's on streaming like it is now and not even on their network itself. Uh, I guess it was too hard of a battle. And ultimately, they just lost. Again, as far as we know of this recording, we could wake up tomorrow at our typical Thursday news drop and see that it's been renewed at the last minute. (laughs) Who knows? Anything could happen. I hope that these creators get another get another shot at it. I hope they get to do something to finish it up proper. But if not, hey, there's a lot of Infinity Train and it's all available on HBO Max. Please watch it. Uh, 40 episodes available of Infinity Train available on HBO Max. Yeah, I'll have to go back and catch up. Not sponsored by HBO Max. No, but it might as well be. <laughs> like some weeks it's Disney Plus, some weeks it's HBO. This happens to be an HBO week. Well, um, that's because it was Netflix before it became HBO. <laughs> right, right. Anyway. Okay. Well, I didn't watch anything else. Uh, well, actually, that's not true. I guess I have to say one thing that I did watch because it is new and it is the talk of the internet right now. But it's mostly friend of the show, Christie's Realm. She's going to continue watching this thing. I will not touch it with a 10-foot pole. Season two of Netflix's The Circle. Ah, uh, yes. Began. 
It's even worse this time. They somehow managed to double down on everything that I hated and slash Christy loved about the first season. And so it's even wilder, even weirder. There's more catfishes this time. Nobody knows who the hell they are pretending to be. There are celebrities involved this season, but kind of not really. It's hard to explain. Uh, It's all over the place. Uh, There is somebody from Who Too Hot to Handle, um, which you guys, uh, which uh, you and friend of the show, uh, Dr. Kristen, also enjoyed. there's a competitor from that show that is has made the journey to compete on the circle. It's made the jump via Netflix. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's all over the place. If you like that first season, well, this is just more of it and it's weirder. But if you hated it like I did, steer very, very clear of this. <laughs> That's what I'll say. Well, so now that I know it's back, I know what I'm filling my time with. <laughs> it's back. It's back with a vengeance, is the way I'll put it. <laughs> That's weekly. I believe a new episodes every Wednesday today. So um, today would so be the new sh- new episodes. I think there's like four up at this point. Then so. I think they did every four. Yeah. yeah, they did that last season too. Get ready. But that's all I watched. So I got nothing else to talk about here. Anything else to talk about before we move on to cancellations and renewals? Nope, I'm ready to move on to cancellations and renewals. What am all I right, no longer watching? Talk about um. As soon as I type this word, boom! Cancellations and renewals start off the top here. HBO Max, the aforementioned one, renewing Warrior for the third season. So this was a Cinemax show, I believe, but it's moving to HBO Max for its third season. Got it. CBS will be bringing back... Also of note, has nothing to do with uh, Warrior, the, the film. Or The Warriors. Or The Warriors. Yeah. Or... Warriors with the song, the song Warriors. Warrior. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> also, CBS bringing back Blue Bloods for a 12th season, Bull for a sixth season, Magnum PI for a fourth season, SWAT for a fifth season, NCIS for a 19th season. So, renewals all around over at CBS. Next up, FX will be bringing back Mr. In Between for a third season. Netflix has announced a fourth season for the Castlevania anime, but also it will be its last. I think its upcoming fourth season yes. already finished will be its last. Yeah. It's renewing Ginny and Georgia as well for a second season. The Dota television show, Dota Dragon's Blood, will also come back for a second season. And nerd favorite Love, Death, and Robots will be getting a third season on Netflix as well. So renewals all around. No cancellations this week. Uh, next up, deaths, because we have to talk about them. Quite yeah, a handful. so somber. Well, I guess maybe you should. Speak. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Uh, first up, Felix Sila, age 84, actor, was in The Addams Family, The Blackbird, Return of the Jedi, among others. Was Cousin It in The Addams Family. Aha. Next up, Anthony Powell, age 85, costume designer worked on Death on the Nile, Tess, and Indiana Jones of the Last Crusade, among others, won Oscars in 1973, 1979, and 1981. Speaking of costume design. Yep. Next up, Helen McCrory, age 52, actress in Peaky Blinders, Harry Harry Potter films, The Queen. That's young, 52. Uh, She was 
Mrs. Malfoy. Yeah. Narticia Malfoy? Who can say? (laughs) Someone (laughs) is now screaming at me that I don't know. Yeah, somebody. Next up, Charles Geschke, age 81, co-founder of Adobe. Yeah, of Photoshop and Flash and shit. Uh, Co-developer of Interpress and PostScript as well. So a computer programming legend. And now, just like Adobe Flash, he is no more. He is no longer with us, exactly. Next up, Hester Ford. He's not in media, but he was 115. So he was decided to tell you he was the oldest American person uh, as of ni- 2019. Uh, yes. I guess no longer when the case. When Hester Ford killed the previous older person in order to retain that title. I don't think. No. And now a new oldest person <laughs> walks, yeah. walks among us. Yes, a <laughs> new oldest person dropped. Next up, um, Jim Steinman, age 73, musician, composer, lyricist, helped write Total Eclipse of the Heart. I do anything for love, but I won't do that. It's all coming back to me now. Power Ballad Master, yeah. uh, Jim Steinman, very <laughs> famous for his work with Meatloaf, among others. Yes, you definitely will be missed. Those lyrics are forever. Those songs will be eternal. And yes, that delicious, delicious meatloaf. Yes. Mm. Some barbecue sauce, no ketchup. And then lastly... (laughs) You see what I see. (laughs) Former Vice President Walter Montale, who you had originally age 993, which makes him the oldest person uh in american um, no he's really 93 it was a typo was vice president of course during 1977 1981 who's who was president during that time was he uh was he under ford at that point he was under still living president jimmy carter oh carter 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 mondale you're right before my time before my time with that it's time to flip this over to you and let's talk about some music. And we always start music with the billboard and we'll always start the billboard with the Hot 100. And the hottest song in the land right now is Rap Star by Polo G. Yep. That of course knocks off uh, Lil Nas X with Montero, Call Me By Your Name, dropping down to number two. Uh, at three, Leave the Door Open by Silk Sonic. At four, Peaches by Justin Bieber, featuring Daniel Caesar and Kivian. And rounding out your top five and being heard probably in every commercial by now, Save Your Tears by The Weeknd. Yep, your requisite weekend strong. Notable here, Olivia Rodrigo knocked out of the top five for the first time since Driver's License hit hit number one. Yep, Um, she finally found her way home. I guess so. Out of the top five. Unbuckled the seatbelt, left the car. (laughs) Uh, As for your albums chart, your Billboard 200, um, we called it. Yep. uh, Even though it had a really strong um, pull by its by the album number two, Fearless Taylor's version by Taylor Swift is your number one album. I want to say narrowly beating out Mm -hmm. the posthumous record, the best of DMX by DMX. Following the passing of DMX. Mm-hmm. Uh, at three, Justice by Justin Bieber. 
at four, Dangerous, colon, the double album by Morgan Wallen. And rounding out your top five, Soulfly by Rod Wave. So yeah, besides the, the DMX entry, which makes sense, this is about where we figured this week would be. Uh, but yeah, congratulations, Taylor, for her third number one in less than a year. Wrap your um, mind is around that. some that. sort of record now? I don't know if that's some sort of record, but it's definitely something that is... Uh, Wait, when, when did Folklore come out then? It, it, that was a July, I want to say, release of last year. Huh. So she has a possible to have four number ones. I doubt it. In a year. Uh, seeing as she said on Twitter that she is currently still recording whatever the next thing is, we won't see probably what I'm guessing is 1989 Taylor's version probably until the fall. That's my guess. Okay. But still, three albums hit number one in a year. In it's a impressive. year span. It's impressive. But if you didn't like any of those albums and don't want to listen to Taylor's version again, yeah, we have new releases. <laughs> okay, what am I listening to this week? We have Sweep It Into Space by Dinosaur Jr. Yes, yeah, that Dinosaur, Jr. Dinosaur Jr. We also have Flat White Moon by Field Music. Nurture by Porter Robinson. Surrounded by Time by Tom Jones. Yes, yes. that Tom Jones still making music. <laughs> and I kind of called it early last week with the release of Heart by Eric Church. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that album in a minute here. Mm -hmm. But to wrap that up, Soul by Ooh. Eric Church will be released this week. Okay. Did I say last year? <laughs> I feel like I said last year. You may last have. Week last we week we talked about Heart by Eric Church. We'll actually talk about it in a bit here in Thoughts. But yes, Soul will be releasing on uh, this week for Eric Church. And if you're wondering about Ant and Ampersand, <laughs> that is a vinyl-only record yes. for the church choir. As you mentioned, yes. Yep, You must be a fan of the church choir to get that vinyl <laughs> album. Or those bonus tracks of Ampersand. Fair enough. And then you have the whole collection of Heart and Soul. Anyways. You get it. Anyways, as much as um, I'm going to be talking about that album, it probably won't be my album of the year because of our first story. Okay, let's see. Ooh, this episode's full of Media Boat favorites as Media Boat favorite. Casey Musgraves has its has her next album set for later this year, which will be jointly released via Interscope Records and UMG Nashville. The partnership will find the labels collaborating on marketing, radio promotion, and international marketing for the six-time Grammy winner's new music. Of course, her latest album, Golden Hour, released in 2018, won four Grammy Awards, including Album of the Year, and landed her on most major critics' consensus 10 best lists for the year, including our very own and winning mm -hmm. Media Boat uh, Album of the Year. Yeah. So, the rest of the story is kind of just, you know, information about Golden Hour that we already know, so we can kind of right. skip that. The conversation here is, this is an interesting choice, because this is basically Casey saying... If you thought Golden Hour was my pop crossover, 
now she's putting marketing dollars and record label oomph into making sure that people know this is a pop album as much as it is a country album. Right. I think her last album was fully vetted by UMG Nashville going to a crossover collab with Interscope Records. I expect to see more of the production side Mm -hmm. headed into the pop world. You're also probably going to see a bigger push for pop radio here, uh, more so than was for the Golden Hour singles. This also may affect the sound of the record. Maybe she is going in even further pop direction. We won't know until we hear the, the, the singles, uh, whenever she's ready to release them. But uh, yeah, this seems like the writing is on the wall that she's serious about crossing over here. And that this is going to be a 1989-esque move from Casey is my imagine it, like is what I imagine happening. Right. And when you throw in international marketing dollars behind it, mm-hmm. they want this to go big. This needs yeah. to hit number one. This needs to stay at number <laughs> one, not just country. We're talking Billboard <laughs> 200 album. I like how we sound like her freaking like... Um, We're the hype man. <laughs> board of directors right now. We're like at the conference table being like, needs to stay at number one. See this whiteboard. Look at that graph. You, you had golden hour. <laughs> oh, we're going to give you goldenest hour. <laughs> we can go goldener. So yeah, uh, this could break two ways, obviously. Like, I hope it's good. And all right. of this is true. That would be great. Um, it would suck if it wasn't. But hey, it's Casey. She hasn't done anything bad yet, so I have faith in her. Uh, I'm excited to see what this sounds like. Were, were you not turned away by that Christmas special she did for Amazon Prime? I did not watch it. <laughs> so I can't be turned away by something that I completely ignore. Okay, so you have not been tainted by that. <laughs> no, no taint here. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways, yes, that is the big news. And the hype here is that Casey Musgraves' next album this year. Is it yeah. too early to call it album of the year? Yes. Possibly. <laughs> we can say yes. Yes, it is. We'll see. Especially when you're going up against uh, Fearless Taylor's version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I ain't winning nothing. All right, let's move on All right. to a story to put in just for you. Oh, you know the kind of stories I like. It has the <laughs> trifecta here. Also, it was a very slow music week. <laughs> yep. It's got Congress, it's got legislation, mm-hmm. and it's got Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster. Oh, yeah. Maybe a because- boat. Nemesis, I guess you could say. We'll call it Nemesis. Yeah, me- media about Nemesis, Ticketmaster. <laughs> because five members of the, U- the U.S. House of Representatives have signed a letter urging President Joe Biden to launch an investigation into the Live Nation Ticketmaster merger, which they call a monopoly. Uh, Bill Part Pasquale, Frank Pallone, Gerald, Gerald Nadler, and uh, Jan Shankowski and David Sisseling sent letters on Monday to Attorney General Merrick Garland and Rebecca Slaughter, the acting chair of the FTC. Uh, quote, we write in support of strong antitrust enforcement by the Biden administration, including the live event ticket sales marketplace. The evidence is overwhelming that the 2010 merger between the world's largest concert promoter, Live Nation, and the largest ticket provider, Ticketmaster, has strangled competition in live entertainment ticketing and harmed consumers and must be revisited. I mean, yeah. (laughs) When this was signed in, when this deal was made in 2010, 
He was vice president at that mm-hmm. time. So, yeah, I mean, where do you think, uh, do you think they have a case here? Do you think that there's enough uh, data and evidence to point towards um, the advantage that Ticketmaster has thanks to this merger uh, making them too powerful? Well, Monopoly is talking about vertical Monopoly right. here. Right. Um, Ticketmaster and Live Nation don't, while they don't um, own the venues themselves, they have, as we have talked about here uh, for the past six years constantly, moved their position to where they will single-handedly stranglehold certain venues away from certain artists in order to have that monopolistic effect. Mm -hmm. Uh, We did talk about how artists are signed and make deals through Live Nation that ticket sales must go through Ticketmaster first before they go through any other third party uh, for resale. We have talked about how Ticketmaster will upcharge certain resale values and because at certain points they are the only um, place to buy those tickets they are driving their own market price which as they can set anywhere they want is a is categorized as a monopolistic tactic Mm -hmm. so yes there is a case here will it be overturned I guess it's probably not because capitalism. <laughs> Do I hope it gets overturned? Sure. I can be optimistic about that. But as we say here, it's a business and this deal's done and it's been cooking for 10 years. I don't think they can, uh, what's the term? Welch on a handshake agreement. <laughs> yeah, Welch, like some grape juice. Yeah, squatch it. <laughs> so yeah we'll see what happens um yeah i'm not looking for any immediate uh heat on this thing i think this will be a slow build uh but yeah get enough uh strong voices behind it and maybe the administration will pay attention i mean i think you need something stronger than just these five members of 100 100 percent. also to note here that this is these are all uh democratic representatives no uh bipartisan support for this so We'll see. I like how you have like the districts that they're in as well in this. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> Extra detail for the detail, detail oriented. All right. Let's All right. move on. Talk about the aforementioned music thought you have. Yeah. So I alluded to an heavy, heavy allusion to the point where I just flat out said it. <laughs> Eric Church had a new album out this past week called Heart. So not the first album we've talked about Eric Church on here. Uh, if you remember, we talked, or I talked about his last album, Desperate Man, mm-hmm. and how much we kind of loved it. Uh, it was very 70s vibe and something you could just turn on and put in the background and be like, yeah, I'm okay with this. I like it. Well, Eric Church is moving ahead a decade. As <laughs> this is a very 80s-esque inspired album. Okay. There is a lot of songs about heart in this. There is, uh, which kind of leads me to believe that his next album will have a lot of, forgive the pun, soul into it. <laughs> but I like this album. It's cool. a fun album. 
it's a very it's very 80s inspired with some Bon Jovi-esque runs in it and some very Billy Joel inspired lyrics where <laughs> it doesn't have a chorus or a standard chorus for that point for that fact but it's a very very good album I might just go see this in concert it's that good um, if you like Eric Church and you like what he does, it's a lot more of that. Okay. Don't like it. Why don't you listen to these <laughs> fast albums and you will become a fan? Yeah. It's hard well, not to like what he's doing. He's kind of hitting that Miranda Lambert where he'll just do what he wants and right. you're going to love it because he knows his own music and his own fans that yeah. he put, does not put out a dud. I feel like we were saying that two albums ago about Eric Church. And so now he's firmly firmly ensconced in the, those fringes of country music where he's not reliant on the radio airplay like your artists like Kenny Chesney um, arguably still are. He's kind of out there doing his own, you know, rocker country thing, mm-hmm. which is cool. And I'm glad that he's still doing it. I'm glad he's still doing it well. Yeah. I mean, he has enough catalog to put on two different shows and back-to-back nights. So <laughs> right. you kind of have to go to like both because you're going to get a different experience. <laughs> That's impressive. But yeah, um, like I said earlier, if you like this, be a part of the church choir. <laughs> go to his concerts <laughs> and get that ampersand album. Get that ampersand. But yeah, um, I know most of our audience probably isn't country music related. So keeping this kind of brief, but definitely listen to it if you are anywhere near the country scene. It's a really good album. Cool. All right. Well, I didn't listen to anything, so I've got oh, Okay. In that case, we can move right along, head, head strong. Um, we'll take on anyone, including video games. <laughs> yeah. And we always start new uh, video games with new releases. This week, we have MotoGP 21 mm-hmm. for the PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, Switch, and PC. If you own a console, it is available. It's a racing game. Yep. MotoGP. MotoGP. We also have Atelier Mysterious Trilogy Deluxe Pack for the PS4, Switch, and PC. Judgment for the PS5 and Xbox Series X. And Near Replicant version <laughs> 1.22474871. <laughs> for the PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Don't worry, that is the full name yeah, of it. It's the name of it. Uh, it's not some type yeah. of weird... <laughs> I, I bet it is some type of weird code that unlocks something, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, just... It's all the, that near Replicant, um, mm-hmm. or just the near series of weird-ass naming titles. So yeah, specifically uh, for these last two, just for context... So Judgment, that's the next-gen version of Judgment. It's already exact, uh, for uh, uh, consoles and PC. This will be just the next-gen boxes version of it. And then, so yeah, the Nier game is a remake of the original Nier, which Nier Autom- uh, Automata is the sequel to. So this is... In case you didn't know. Yeah, in case you didn't know that. So that's what this game is. Uh, but it's been redone to the point where they pretty much are putting it out as a new game. 
Right, and they can't call it version 2 or 2.5 or <laughs> 2.8 HD prologue. Yeah, no, God, why would you do that? Why would you add so much unnecessary name to a title? <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that's what those are, just for, for your information. Yep. And that brings us into some gaming bits. Yeah, so much happened this week that oh, a couple gather it all up. Too. Like it wasn't yeah. one big thing, it's just a lot oh. of stuff. I mean, some of the stuff can be considered big stuff, but <laughs> we got to throw it all into bits, yep. including Microsoft confirming that free-to-play games will be available without Xbox Gold. Yeah, the, the rule had been up until this point that you needed a Gold subscription in order to play even free-to-play games online with friends. This included like your Apex Legends, your Overwatches, your, your Fortnite, Overwatch, your Fortnites, etc., uh, this removes that uh, requirement. So, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, if you held out this long, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, somehow. Also, if you haven't played any of those games on any other way. <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> uh, we also have Square Enix stating definitively that they are definitely not being bought, even though there's a report that came out yes. that said there were people... Or companies interested in buying Square Enix. Yeah, I feel like in this business nowadays, every week you're hearing about some sort of bu- company buying some other company. Square Enix looked like they were being targeted. They got out there and basically said, not a chance, we're good. So, And that's not. what it was. It was an opinion piece at one point. Um, I think they were ta- interviewing Phil Spencer asking, if you could buy any company, which one would you like? And they said, "Oh, we looked probably like it went like, oh, we like we looked into buying this company and this company and this company, and Square Enix was one of them, <laughs> right?" So people like they were like, probably looking for like the Zenimax deal, of, like mm-hmm. what they were comparing it to. Because yeah, there's have some comparison when you make an offer. Yeah, I think a lot of the scuttle buddies around Microsoft because of this kind of like floating cloud rumor that's been going around the last few months, which has been they're going to buy some sort of Japanese developer. We just don't mm-hmm. know who it is. So yeah, I guess cross Square Enix off of that list. Nor, nor should they be purchased. They're a big enough company. They're but then big, again, yeah. we could say the same thing about Zenimax. Yeah, that's also true. All right. We also have NB, NPD sales numbers for the Switch, which they have as the best-selling console for 28 straight months people just can't stop buying switches however the ps5 has become the fastest selling console in u.s history (laughs) somehow because people can or cannot get a hold of it so yeah here's the thing i guess sony is able to manufacture just enough of these to sell out immediately that they're able to do and able to do so at such a fast clip that they're still outselling even their own consoles in fact, not only their own consoles, but everything Microsoft and Nintendo have put out too. It's unbelievable. The only thing is, is that because of bots and what have you, they're getting snapped up as fast as possible. So let me tell you, in my humble opinion, as someone who recently was on the um, the positive end of a PlayStation 5. I mean, you were just talking about how Xbox Series X consoles are being sold out. So here's my tip. Don't rely on retail websites. They're disasters and they don't have any 
like ways of preventing bots from snapping all those up. Your Walmarts, your Targets, your Best Buys, your probably your GameStops, especially. You're probably wasting your time pressing F5 on those pages. So I say, don't bother. If you want a PlayStation Five, the best and unfortunately the least predictable, but best, the method I was successful in getting one finally was Sony's PlayStation Direct that they do themselves. It's a queue. Those of you who are sneakerheads know what that means. You basically get randomized into a li- into a line, and depending on your random number that you get generated, you're either near the front or you're way in the back. I had been some RNG. Yeah, I had been way in the back every single time up until last Wednesday, where I just happened to get a roll where I was 20 minutes away. And sure enough, they didn't sell out within that 20 minutes, which meant I had an opportunity to buy one. Your mileage may vary. It's random chances at this point. Another um, one that I'll say that's also similarly random chance is if you have a profile over at Newegg.com. Mm-hmm. Newegg will do product raffles, not only for PlayStation 5, but they've also done them for the um, uh, CPUs and GPUs that are hard to get right now for your PCs. So if you're looking for one of those AMD CPUs or one of the NVIDIA 3800 cards, that's also your a good uh, possible way of getting a chance to buy those as well. So that's my hints and tricks. Um, like I said, no guarantees. It's really hard. Um, but if you're trying... Don't bother with retail stores. That's my tip. Right. I mean, Another you could news. try with Amazon, but then again, yeah. Amazon did cancel the Lord of the Rings RPG. <laughs> we really want to give more money to Jeff Bezos. Oh, yeah. So we're moving Sorry, on. The okay. former CEO, Jeff Bezos. Yes. Are moving into former CEO. I think that's in like July. He's yeah, something like that. Moving over. But yeah, Amazon did cancel that Lord of the Rings RPG and instead took that money and put it towards the Lord of the Rings live-action series. <laughs> As that budget has ballooned to $450 million for the first series. So I actually saw some people from Amazon, like some head guy at Amazon was, was out there saying like yesterday saying that that's a made-up number. Right, the $450 million. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that may not be true after well, all. Well, it's probably but... not because they're adding what Amazon puts in there plus mm-hmm. what the subsidies they get from New Zealand, and you don't add them together. <laughs> yeah, no. That's not how that works. <laughs> You're adding excess numbers, which I think is like $115 million in subsidies I saw. So really the series is still at about 250 probably. Still... Which is still huge. Still That's very expensive. Budget. Yeah, still very expensive thing to produce. But we knew that. That's why it has such a price tag to it originally. Yep. And that's why that was just the price tag to for the rights to make it, mm-hmm. not including the budget for the series itself. Right. Uh, so we talked about Microsoft earlier. Well, the uh, Microsoft has launched Xbox Cloud Gaming for PC and iOS for some users. So yeah, this is a slow rollout. When they announced this cloud gaming uh, thing, they did say eventually they would be bringing it to both browser versus like PC via your browser and via iOS. Uh, And this is that finally happening. But like I said, slow rollout, only certain, um, I believe if you're under some of the um, Xbox preview programs, I believe that they will prefer that those players are their preference right now. 
the power users basically who are uh, you know big in the xbox community will likely see invites for this but yeah it seems like what they've done um is on the ios app that i've seen kind of people show screenshots of there's even some games that have touch enabled controls so that way you don't actually have to bluetooth the controller to it so for example banjo kazooie you can play on your phone now if you ever wanted to play banjo kazooie on a phone now that's something you can do so there you go unless it helps you with frame rates and frame perfection it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. So yeah, I mean it's it's cloud gaming. You're gonna get what you're gonna get from you know Microsoft's data sensors centers, no matter what. But it's it's interesting, and the more people that get to mess around with it, the more we'll know if this is an equivalent kind of service to Stadia or if it's even better. And that might get a lot of people attracted to Game Pass Ultimate that aren't already on there. Don't throw that S word around until unless you mean it. <laughs> I mean it. I mean it. All right. Speaking of things being thrown around, Jeff Kaplan is being thrown out of Blizzard. <laughs> really not being thrown out. I believe he's leaving on his own volition. But yeah, Jeff Kaplan, a 19-year career at Blizzard, but recently he's been known as the lead director on Overwatch. No longer the case. He's leaving. Um, he's been there since the Overwatch team launched, like you said, 19-year career. Yeah. Uh, Blizzard lifer. The company. Yeah. This is yet another in the long stream of people who have been at Blizzard forever that have been bailing out on the company. Yep. Also, this kind of leaves the future of Overwatch 2 in even more uh, disarray. We still don't know what the status of that game is. Is that game not coming out or is coming out? They haven't said a single word about it. Not since that teaser trailer? Yeah. So we're still doing this. And then we still don't know. Radio silence for like three years. Yeah. It doesn't look great, if you ask me. BlizzCon, where are you? Mm-hmm. And lastly, in video game bits, mm-hmm. a follow-up to last yes. week's um, uproar about uh, Sony shutting down the PS3 and Vita stores. Well, you did it, Internet. Congratulations. You bullied <laughs> a large company into overturning their decision yet again. That's what they love to again, do. Again, again. Um, yeah, Sony is deciding to reverse plans to shut down the PS3, Vita stores, and PSP stores. I'm oh, sorry, the PS3 and Vita stores. The PSP one will still close. Yeah. But the PS3 and Vita will still be active. Yeah, this is kind of a win for a lot of fans and a lot of people who are concerned about preservation, mm-hmm. uh, as well as a lot of developers who would have lost their game sales um, via this closure. Um, yeah, it's unclear exactly how much work this requires Sony to keep doing. It was unclear in the first place what, why the reason really they were shutting it down. So I don't really know how this affects Sony going forward. There must have been a reason they wanted to get rid of this thing. Uh, that being said, yeah, this is a win for the fans um, in general and cool for people who still own Vitas and PS3s that don't want to move to a different uh, environment to buy their games. You know it's an accounting thing where awesome. accounting looked at the line and said, why are we still playing for these servers? No one has mm-hmm. a PS3 or Vita anymore, right? No one's buying. This is not, there's no uptick here. Right. Uh, speaking of uptick, though, there is a way to read this story that maybe the uptick in people buying from those stores after this announcement was made, kind of making last-minute purchases, maybe that convinced some number pushers over there, 
hey, there's some life here. It's not done yet. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. But RIP the PSP. But that makes that makes sense because nobody's on a PSP. Anymore. Well, there PSP had um, physical media as well. That too. So the PSP Go. The PSP Go was completely digital. Without a drive. Yes. <laughs> so. Well, it's PSP gone at this point. Yeah. PSP Go. PSP went. All right. All right. Um, so, as we mentioned, it is baseball season. We started this episode with a little bit of baseball. We mm-hmm. talked about baseball in the middle here. We're going to end on a little bit of a baseball note because officially yes. MLB The Show 21 is out. Now, okay. we did not buy the Jackie Robinson edition. <laughs> no. That being said, it was available on Xbox Game Pass. Mm-hmm. And you played it. So, tell me, how is Pitcher Someone Awesome? Well, or Matt Johnson. <laughs> yeah. So, well, first of all, before before you start, I need to tell another story because I did not play the Xbox Game Pass version of this game. What? But so, but that's what we talked about last week. So that was original the original plan. That was the plan. I was going to play it because it was free with Game Pass. Well, then Wednesday came along, and I was able to, as I mentioned, oh, like abstractly before. I was able to purchase PlayStation 5. Yeah, it was more abstract. You flat out said I was able to get in yes. the queue and make a purchase. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it happened. Uh, I'm part of the new next generation. We, right. Media Boat Podcast. Media Boat Podcast is in... Or console or something. Show the proof. Uh, it's in another room. I can't show you right Oh, it's now. in the other room. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, so I the made the kind of... I made a game day decision. Um, hot, to, <laughs> hot, hot. Well, really, day before game day decision. Yes. Um, to to uh, uh, to to not buy or to not play the Xbox version and just spend the seventy dollars on the PS5 version. Uh, the reasons why I did this was one because I mistakenly later I found out thought that I would be able to bring over my save from the Sony console that I had previously played the show on. Mm-hmm. I found out that that's not the case because you can't bring any saves on even on. The PS4 version. Ooh. Yeah, I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but then the other reason was because, like, well, I got this next generation system. I might as well get it for the next generation system. It must look better, right? Okay. And here's where I get to start talking about the game. So I'm guessing you have not played any of this yet. I played the demo when it you was. You played available. the demo, so maybe you know kind of what I'm going to say, and maybe you don't, depending on how much was in the demo. So. This is a very minor improvement. And you're probably thinking, well, yeah, it's a sports game. What did you expect? And I'm like, yeah, I guess I expected a little bit more, but guess you're right. I should have lowered my expectations because there's not a whole lot of needle moving here uh, from the last one that I owned, which was MLB 19. So between 19 and uh, 21, not a whole lot is different. Road to the show mode, uh, they made some adjustments. Uh, they've streamlined the uh, player relationship system to where it happens on the field when you do plays that interact with other players, as opposed to being the stupid conversations that happened in, in the like in the room. Uh, so right, actually talking to players and forming yeah. bonds. Also new to uh, uh, Road to the Show this year are pre-taped segments of either interviews with like 
MLB uh, t- like MLB uh, network personalities and or a f- snippets from a fake podcast. You know they're the worst, right? It's so bad. Where they have to chalk talk generically about it. Mm-hmm. Yes. They did it with the Madden too. All, yes. Avoiding crazy. avoiding your name, avoiding the specific, your name, position, yeah. everything. Just say this player. This player. Yeah. There's a lot of that. My then, expectations for this player. The other weird part about that new stuff is that it was all clearly taped last year, which means that all this stuff has the presentation vibe of last of 2020 slash current season telecasts, as is to say, everything's on Zoom. <laughs> Nothing is in person. So it's weird. It gives this weird vibe where you're going from gameplay, which shows the stands packed because it's virtual, <laughs> to going to these interstitials where it seems like it's 2020 again. It's a weird tonal whiplash. So that, and then the other thing that changed this year for Road to the Show that's more of a gameplay thing, no matter what what you want to play, they start you as they start you out as a two-way player because that's the big thing, the big feature this year in Road to the Show is that you can be a two-way player. You can be Shohei Otani. Um, So from the start, you're pitching and you're a position player from the start of this game. So the way they do that, try to ease you into it, is the first full game you play, you're pitching the full game or, you know, until they pull you. Uh, (laughs) Then like uh, the next full game, you're just batting. You're a designated hitter. And then the third full game you play, I mean, depending on your league, I suppose. Uh, I was in the American League, so. Uh, yeah, I was a Rocket City Trash Panda. Yay, Because Trash they're <laughs> the current, the double-A team for the Angels. Um, and then the third game is just a full, like, you're playing a position. I was playing first base. Um, so, yeah, um, it gives you a taster of sorts. And then eventually, after those three games are complete, you get the choice to tell your manager whether you want to stick with a two being a two-way player or if you want to focus on something else, just a pitcher or just a position player. So, yeah, it's, uh, I think, I going mean, to... At least it gives you more choice than yeah. straight up in the beginning saying, I want to do this one position. Yeah. So that's, unfortunately, the only place they give you more choice because the rest of the mode they're taking a lot of choices away from you not as much character customization now everything is done in a call of duty style loadout now and that's because for the first time ever your road to the show creative player can participate in the diamond dynasty mode that is key and Mm. from the moment you start this game up they are pushing you to the cards it's very clear that they're like, no, open these packs up first. Oh, look at our store first. Before you play baseball, you are, you are given microtransactions to choose from. It's kind of wild how far that they want to push you into that mode. Um, so yeah, so your loadouts are kind of taken from the stuff that you used to do in Road the Show. So oh, I want this like boon that I used to have to wait for to get uh, by by playing a lot that makes me pitch this, like makes my velocity better on my pitches. Instead of making you wait, you can get that up front and you can buy again with microtransactions, better versions of those things or mm-hmm. unlock them later down the line. 
So a lot of, I think a lot of fans, especially people who have been with the show franchise for a while now are going to be very disappointed with the lack of options when it comes to that kind of, that part of the game. And I think the road to the show mode is going to disappoint a lot of people. It sounds like they're moving away from road to the show and those kind of online interactions and moving towards what Madden's doing and FIFA and yes. all these other sports game is the ultimate team's dynasty modes, yes. the microtransactions, because it's, yeah. you get more money out of microtransactions. Okay, this is the third time I'm going to say it on this podcast. Because <laughs> it's a business. It's I a know. business. But 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 at the same time though, like these games sell really well beyond the you know the Diamond Dynasty mode making them so much money, right? So it seems to be it seems like a strange move to me that this is that the, to make it so much the focus because I feel it's going to alienate a lot of your people. So yeah, like I said earlier, you can't bring over saves like you used to. My guess for that is uh, twofold: one, because it's multi-platform this year, so Xbox mm-hmm. uh, players are starting from start uh, from scratch, no matter what. And two, because crossplay exists with those versions, so they probably didn't want some some somebody's super hot shot from MLB the Seventeen co- uh, coming in and just completely dominating. They don't want someone awesome time. wrecking everybody. No, sadly, they do not. But the flip side of that is crossplay is kind of cool, which means that say in theory, if you got Game Pass and you started playing the Xbox version, we could potentially play a game together even on my PS Five. So there's cool options there with the crossplay being available. Um, so that brings me to the next part I want to talk about, which is uh, the PS5 performance of this game. Well, if you wanted a version that looked exactly, if you want something that looks exactly like the PS4 version did of 19 and presumably 20, running at full PS4 Pro resolution, but that didn't run like shit, that's what this is. There are literally zero graphics options on the PS5 version because they're giving you max everything. Okay. It's very clearly still the same engine that they were running on PS4. They did not rebuild anything. It looks like the same game. It's just constantly at 4K and it's constantly at 60 frames. So if that's what you're looking for, if you just want performance, the PS5 and Xbox Series X versions are probably the ones to buy. If you're stuck on the old consoles, you're probably not worse for wear because 1080p versions of those games are still going to perform great you're still going to get 60 frames on that on that 1080 because that's what you got in 19 and 20 this is also the case with any cross-gen next-gen platform where most has to be able to run on old hardware as well as new hardware so yeah so the downside here is that if you were expecting to be blown away by next-gen graphics you're not going to be it's a subtle difference in fact even in the like the the notes of for the differences between the versions, even S- Sony's even saying, "Yeah, you'll get more detail in the stadiums," and that's pretty much it, graphics wise. That's the only difference that they are claiming exists. And yeah, that's probably right. If you probably look out into the you know, stands, you'll probably see maybe some things that elements that you don't see on the PS4 version. But really, not a whole lot going on to make you go, "Huh, wow!" Like it used to be on the PS4 when a new one of those came out. Like, I remember the first time I saw 17, I was like, holy shit, this game looks crazy. And there's just minor improvements from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it'll probably take a few iterations for them to get to the version where they completely rebuild the engine for PS5. We'll get there. 
Well, once you have a PS5 exclusive and it's not cross-platform, which might be next year, maybe the year after that. No, it'll be another year. Uh, seeing as we're still in this kind of no man's land between the two generations, yep. it's going to be like this for a while. Right, um, until people can get it on the shelves, walking mm-hmm. and buy it, you're not going right. to sell out too quickly. Right. So yeah, I think overall, I'm going to spend more time with it, of course. I'm already enjoying playing it with the controller, though which I'll get to in the other game I want to talk about real briefly. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's still just as good of a game as it used to be. But if you're expecting the modes to be exactly the same how you remember them, there's a lot that's different that may disappoint some people. And if you're expecting a big next-gen change for the next-gen versions, you might also be disappointed. However, if you haven't bought the show in a few years and you're looking for, a let's say, a solid base hit, that's what this is. Uh-huh. Uh, this is not a home run. This is just another version of the game that a lot of people like, and there's a lot to like if you are interested in it. And seeing as it's the only game in town, it might be worth it, especially if you're an Xbox owner. Try it on Game Pass. You might find something to like here. Okay. And I haven't tried making a stadium yet, by the way. The, one of the, the new, biggest new things is there's a create a stadium mode. You can't oh. play in them yet. That's a, a forthcoming update, but you can start creating them now. To create stadiums. Create a stadium. Use all the budget that Las Vegas <laughs> can give you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I want to bring baseball to Vegas. Anyway, you can do that. All right. But that being said, and you're bearing the lead here, you yeah, bought yes. a PS5. How does it yes. play? Okay. So, yeah, uh, I'll be really brief here because I know we need to wrap up. It's going, show's going long. But what it I just hit say, two hours. Yeah, that's long <laughs> for us. Um, what I will say is that, yeah, I'm still kind of in the early stages of it. I actually really like uh, the feel of the DualSense controller. I've been playing the pack-in game Astrobot's Playroom, and that has been the thing that's actually stolen my heart this week. That game is great. I think that if there was an easier way for you to play this thing, you would be all over it. Because imagine a combination of kind of like the feel and look of a Ratchet and Clank game, but with the design philosophy of a Mario game, and you kind of get Astrobot. Around every single corner of this game is something like a, a mystery, like a secret to be found. Just like in like that feeling you get in a good Mario game where you're like, oh shit, I walked across this thing and now there's a thing down here. Or I've moved the camera a certain angle. Oh, there's a hidden item down here. Your completionist brain would love this game <laughs> because there are percentages everywhere about all the things that you can get. There's a giant wall of puzzle pieces and the more puzzle pieces you pick up during the level, it'll fill in a mosaic about the history of the PlayStation franchise. Because that's the other thing that this game is. Not only is it a really solid 3D platformer with great, uh, with great secrets to find and like cool tight controls, but it's also a tribute to the history of PlayStation as a brand, not too dissimilar to how Super Smash Brothers is the celebration of Nintendo. So throughout every every world, there are homages to PlayStation franchises and console and hardware everywhere. The little robots around the, each of the levels are doing are reenacting scenes from PlayStation games. Uh, and you can go up them and interact with their scenes. The collectible items you're getting are peripherals and or consoles that are related to the PlayStation. 
So for example, in the PlayStation 2 level, you'll run across a DualShock 2. <laughs> and the best part about it is that there's a way that you can look at all these like trinkets and look at super detailed 3D models of them and zoom in and see all the little intricate things that they got right based on the real thing. Some of them you can interact with. You can open the disc lid, for example, on the PlayStation 1. You can open up the flap on the original version of the PlayStation 3 that had the SD card slots. <laughs> they have taken so much painstaking time to make sure that every single PlayStation accessory is just as accurate as it was in real life. It's hilariously detailed. And this um, is the basically their tech demo, right? And yeah, and then on top of all that, it's a tech demo for the controller. So everything you're doing is designed to show a different aspect of the controller, whether it be its motion control, it's like rumble. So Nintendo had HD rumble. Well, imagine HD rumble, but better than even better than that, where like you can feel, I don't know, the grit of sand, like the blow of wind, the pitter patter of rain, even footsteps are realistically translated into rumble in this controller. And it's really hard for me to explain it without having a, putting the controller in your hand. It's definitely a very tactile sensation that's hard to describe in words, but it feels cool is the way I put it. This is a part of that 3D sound that PlayStation was um, yeah. promoting. Because then, yeah, and then on top of the rumble, the controller also has a speaker out of it, just like the PS4 did. It has the touchpad like the PS4 controller did as well. And it has a microphone now. So, so that lends to some DS-style blow-into-the-microphone-to-blow-the-fan puzzles <laughs> that show up every once in a while. So yeah, every around every single corner and every level of this game, there's something new to play around with. So it works as a great tech demo, but also it works as a great like exploration feel of exploration because you're constantly finding secrets and doing cool shit. I'm having a blast with it. I finished the four main levels because they're based on the four main PlayStations mm -hmm. at this point, but um, there's so much more to, to, to explore. And there's like speed run competitions and leaderboards built into this thing. And it's free with the console. So it's, yeah, it's absolutely super, super cool. If I had played it last year, it probably would have been somewhere on my game of the year list. It's that polished and good. Um, and yeah, and I've just scratched the surface. I've downloaded the uh, PS5 versions of Modern Warfare and Borderlands 3 to try those out next. My saves didn't travel though. So I might have to go back to my PS4 and run it just to get those uploaded to the cloud because I guess they never did that. Oh, they were never uploaded through a PS or the PS Plus? I guess not because mm -hmm. I tried in both those games to pull and they said they couldn't pull anything, which makes me think I actually have to pull, like press a button back there. Uh, yeah, so before it was automated, you had to mm -hmm. set it up. So I never did, I guess. Yeah, I never, I didn't do that until God of War, mm -hmm. and realized that oh, this should be done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, I also have the PS5 version of Man Eater because that was free a couple months ago. That's installed already. I have uh, Abe, the new Abe's Odyssey game, uh, Soulstorm, Soulstorm. Uh, installed as well. So I have way too much to try on this thing. It's going to be an adventure. <laughs> In addition to the PS Plus collection. Yes, and I've downloaded, I added all of those to library as well. So I have God of War, Bloodborne, uh, mm -hmm. Black Ops 3, I want to say. Some really weird choices are on there. Not only that, um, for those of you that do have PlayStation, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn mm -hmm. 
Is the complete collection right is available starting now for a month, I believe. Yeah. And that includes uh, the, for, the download Forbidden West. Or no, Forbidden Frozen Wilds. Forbidden right. West is the sequel. Forbidden West is the one that's not out yet. But yep. Yeah, so I mean, all of that and more. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to continue kind of exploring what's, what uh, that has to offer in the weeks going forward. But probably mostly I'm going to be playing more of the show and getting my uh, pitcher out of the miners, get them on the, the angels proper soon. So yeah, we'll or you get treated. <laughs> yeah, I hope not. I'm, but I'm done. I'm over being a trash panda. <laughs> you know, these catchers, they're so bad. I'm so used to playing with professional catchers. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten past balls. Like they just cannot freaking get the catcher cannot line, line up with me. It's so bad. Anyway. We'll Anyways, <laughs> sounds like a good investment for your PS5. Yeah, I'll play around with it more as the weeks go on. But yeah, uh, when stuff comes out with that for that thing, I'll be able to give it a try from now on. So Media Boat Podcast in the next generation now. So Woo. we're here. All right. All right. And with that, that does it for us here. I didn't, I've been playing more Final Fantasy VII Remake, which you can find those on Twitch yep. and then um, cataloged on our YouTube page as mm-hmm. well. Where can we find all of that delicious stuff? You can find all of that and way, way, way more on all our sorts of all, all sorts of different links. First up, if you want to see the video versions of our YouTube of our, of our podcasts, you can see that on YouTube.com. Just search Media Boat Podcast. Find our channel, like, subscribe, etc. You can also find the audio versions on audio podcast services such as Apple Podca- Podcasts, which they just announced is going to get a new fresh coat of paint. Uh, so expect a redesign for that storefront very soon. You can also find us on Amazon, iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're probably there. Google Play, all those places. You can also find our uh, podcast archive on mediaboatpodcast.com, which we'll be updating every week with new episodes as they go live. And you can also send us questions if you have any on mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com. Also, Twitter, at MediaBoatCast is our handle. And Facebook, if you search Podcast, you'll find our page there as well. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. We'll have our Oscar feedback. We'll have all sorts of shit. Maybe more, more Mortal baseball. Mortal Kombat thoughts. Mortal Kombat. All that and more. So look forward to next week. Uh, we also have our my thoughts on Soul next week. Uh, not the, the album, movie. Not the movie. But the Eric Church record. Yes. <laughs> All right, so look forward to that. We'll be back. All that and more next week. Okay, bye. Goodbye.